Well, as always, it's great to be able to come this morning and gather with you to worship the Lord. And we are kicking off a new series this morning called His Name. And the question is, you know, what is in a name? What is in a name? I think of how long parents take to determine, you know, what is the name of this child, you know, going to be. And, and one of my favorite stories of names goes back to the ancient times. And I don't know if this story is true or not. I wasn't there. Uh, but it's still one of my favorites. Uh, apparently, uh, in Julius Caesar's army, uh, there was a zero tolerance of people who went AWOL. And on this one particular occasion, an individual went AWOL and were pulled before Caesar, which of course it meant uh, instant death. Uh, that's typically what would have happened. And for this particular day, for whatever reason, uh, Julius Caesar was sort of a little more merciful. And he decided that he would just have the guy beaten and still allowed to be in the army. And, and, and out of curiosity, uh, Julius Caesar asked the man, what is your name? And the man looked at him and he said, Julius. To which with great anger, Julius Caesar said, either change your name or change your character. <laughs> I like that story. I like that story. I, I think of myself, you know, my name Craig is not very common. In fact, most people call me Greg, even though my name is Craig with a C. Uh, and that's okay. I answer to anything if someone's smiling when they say it. And, and so, and, but when I went to kindergarten, it was the first time I met another Craig, and I, w I went home offended and asked my mom why someone else had my name. I just couldn't figure it out. Couldn't figure it out. There, there's something, something in a name. And when we look at the Old Testament, there's at least 32 names of God, uh, descriptive names. Uh, the name Yahweh, or, or in the Latinized version of it, Jehovah, uh, and these attachments to this name to give us some clarity on who God is. And, and I was thinking about God and, and his name, and I thought, you know, God is supreme and beyond our complete comprehension, but he can be known and trusted. Think about that. I mean, he's beyond our comprehension, but he lets us know enough that, that we can know him and trust him. And I've had people say to me before, they say, well, if, if you can't totally comprehend God, how do you trust him? And the reality is, do you totally know anybody? I've been married over 31 years. 31 years. I know my wife, Krista, better than I know anyone else on planet Earth. You know what? She still surprises me sometimes. Anyone been there? I mean, it's just the way it is. And, and I think of C.S. Lewis's statement. He said, I know two things. There is a God and I am not him. <laughs> he also said, a God that I can fully comprehend ceased to be a God that I would serve. And, and so God is, is beyond our, our complete comprehension. He's supreme, but, but he's, he can be known and trusted. And some of the qualities of God is that he's mighty and he's creator, he's Lord, he, he's provider, he's, he's healer. And God is addressed by many names because he desires us to know him personally and genuinely believe in him. And as we go through eight of the 32 names, there's eight of them, I believe it's going to give us a greater understanding of who God is. It's going to allow us to build our trust and, and understand how intimately God wants to be involved in our life. And the first name we're going to look at is Jehovah Sidkenu. Jehovah Sidkenu means the Lord, our righteousness. In the first place we find this title of God, this name of God, this descriptive name of God, is in Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6. Somebody read it for us this morning. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a, branch, a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he is called. The Lord is our righteousness. 
Jehovah Sikhanu, the Lord is our righteousness. Now what's going on when Jeremiah receives this prophecy? What, what is going on in, in, in Judah? What's going on in, in, in the life of Jeremiah? Well, first of all, God presents Jeremiah with this glimpse of this coming king, but he gives him this, this glimpse of this coming king in a time when he needed it, needed it most. See, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar brought a mighty siege upon Jerusalem. And King Zedekiah, the, the king of, uh, of Judah, all he could do is watch from the wall and see this devastation happen before his eyes. It, it's important to understand that the kings that had come before Zedekiah had left a legacy of hopelessness. They had let down their people. And, and Jeremiah was amidst this, this devastation. And in this time of, in his life, when he sees God's chosen people sort of turning their back on God, when he sees a king who hasn't really stood up for, for, for morality among his people and, and so much darkness, God says, I'm gonna offer you hope. I'm gonna let you peer into the future and see what's gonna happen among your people. See, in such times, it's important to remember that when darkness falls around us, when burnout, and spiritual fatigue threatens to obscure all hope. God is present and working, even when we're unaware of it. Even when we don't see it, God is working. He's present. Take, for instance, this event in Jeremiah's life when God shows up and, and gives us this prophetic vision, probably the finest vision that, that Jeremiah had received. God provides Jeremiah the ability to, to really look through the dark tunnel to the light of the gospel age. He, he, he gives them this, this picture of the coming Messiah, the Savior. His name, Jehovah Sikhanu, means the Lord our righteousness, and he's gonna be a model ruler. Now think about this. All these kings have let down God's people. King Zedekiah, the, the current king, is letting down God's people. And, and God says to Jeremiah, but there will be a king of kings who comes who's gonna make all things right. What you and the people of God are going through right now is not eternal, but an eternal one will come. You can have hope. God gives Jeremiah foresight beyond the reestablishment of Israel and, and under Nehemiah, again, into the gospel age. He, he sees what, what only those who, who lived in the time of Christ were able to see. A light is shown on the coming real king. And for all Jeremiah's love, for his rebellious country, so to speak, for all his thankless ministry, and if you know Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, because as he shares these warnings of, uh, of, of, of God to God's people, they totally ignore it. He, he's actually persecuted for speaking the truth. But he's given this refreshment of seeing God fulfill his own intention of being king of his people. See, when you think about it, all 66 books of scripture have this one thing in common, and that's this. They speak of the kingdom of God. John the baptizer. Let's fast forward many, many years. John the baptizer, he breaks a 400-year period of silence, prophetic silence in Israel. The 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And what is the words he speaks to break the silence? Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. When Jeremiah saw prophetically this picture of Jesus, John actually saw him. 
John actually had the privilege of baptizing him. He saw this king of kings. He saw Jehovah's, Jehovah's Sikhanu, the Lord our righteousness, right before him. Let's look at another verse, an interesting twist, if you will. Jeremiah thirty-three sixteen. Listen to how it reads. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The same phrase, Jehovah Sikhanu, the Lord our righteousness. Now, why do I point that out? Because when you first come across this verse in Jeremiah, he says that the one to come, the promised one, the Messiah, the King of Kings, is known as Jehovah Sikhanu, the Lord our righteousness. But he says there will be a day when the city of Jerusalem will be known as this as well. It's an interesting twist of events. See, under King Zedekiah's leadership, Judah was allowed to continue to rebel against God. In fact, the result was that his revolt against Babylon brought Nebuchadnezzar in 587 BC to not only siege Jerusalem for the second time, but to culminate in the destruction of the city in the first temple that was built under Solomon. So Zedekiah's rebellion really against God, allowing rebellion to happen within the people of God there in Judah, led to the destruction of the temple. These are the people, this is the city, by the way, Jerusalem. But Jeremiah prophesies at some point will be known as the Lord our righteousness. Far from what they were at the moment they were destroyed. <laughs> Jerusalem is given a name directly connected to the name given to the Messiah in, Je in Jeremiah 23.6. and indicates the unity that will be established between God and his people. Jeremiah was entrusted with this centuries before its fulfillment. And his fulfillment's wrapped up in one person. Recognize as Jehovah Sikhanu, the Lord our righteousness. Think about that for a minute. There's this promise, this, this, this hope is found in one person, in one person only. I think it must have been astonishing for Jeremiah to entertain the idea that one person's righteousness, catch this, could restore a race of humanity. That they had lost this, this humanity of their own, but this one person could restore it. The person would come from the throne of David and execute judgment in such a way that he could actually become righteousness for us in a substitutionary way. This is a picture we have. The one to come is Jehovah's Sikhanu, the Lord our righteousness, his holy city, his people, us as believers, were to be known as the Lord our righteousness. Think about it for a minute. When Jesus, when Jesus, the good shepherd, laid down his life for his sheep, he left a legacy of bold leadership in the apostles and the disciples. That, that, that this vision that, that Jeremiah got is such a profound vision because the carnal kings of old had fleeced the flock. And yet the apostles of Jesus Christ, the leaders of Jesus Christ, were called to what? To be under shepherds who would feed the flock. When Jeremiah wrote these words, we've explored, it's almost as if Jeremiah stood in the gospel age. As if God gave him eyes to look over the shoulders of the apostles themselves and to see Christ's ascension into heaven, squinting up into the brilliance of the cloud that received Jesus out of their sight. And this beautiful coronation of Christ as he sits at the right hand of the Father, Christ is, is declared king. And when Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, he was righteousness. 
for a human race. His righteousness becomes our righteousness as we trust in him. Jehovah Sikhanu, the Lord, our righteousness. On this, in only this vision, could the prophet, in, in the darkest time of his life, find hope. I wonder if you've ever been there. Can you relate to the prophet? Have you ever had a moment in your life where things were dark, where maybe you didn't see the hand of God working, and, and yet you know he is, you know he is, he's always working. And you say, well, where's the hope? Well, the hope is in the one who's eternal. The hope is in the one who is promised. The Lord is in the one who is, the hope is in the one who is our righteousness. Only in him can we find true hope. So here's the amazing thing. Think about it. Jeremiah is seeing this, this potential devastation of Jerusalem. He, he's gonna see the destruction of, of the temple. I mean, where, where do you find hope in a moment like that? You find hope in God. That the events that, 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 that Jeremiah were looking at didn't have the final word. He said, why is that important? Because none of the events in our lives get the final word either. God does. God does. And he said, well, so-and-so said this about me. They don't get the final word. Come on now. My whole life I was told this about myself. They don't get the final word. I was watching TV. Why do you watch TV? I was watching TV, and I was so down because of all the things. They don't get the final word. God gets the final word. And who is he? He's Jehovah Sikkidu, the Lord, our righteousness. What does it mean that Christ is our righteousness? Well, it leads us to a question. What does it mean to be righteous? What is righteousness? And you can look at almost any dictionary, and righteousness is sort of defined the same way. It's behavior that's morally and justifiably right. Words such as moral and just and virtuous and upright come to mind. But here's the question that we need to answer this morning. What, what is the standard of biblical righteousness? Does anyone know? What's the standard of biblical righteousness? Well, you have a, uh, almost a 90% chance if you say Jesus. Right? It's God. God is the standard of biblical righteousness. It's God's own perfection. And here's the reality. Isn't it great to know we serve a perfect God? But can it be troubling to think that the standard of righteousness is his perfection? Because if you think you're perfect, you got a real problem this morning. And so there's no way in our own strength we can live up to that. But the Bible describes a righteous person or just who is just and right and holding on to God and trusting in him. I love this psalm, Psalm 33, 18 through 22. It says, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Again, the, the problem is that we're not perfect. And, and if you have trouble saying that, just lean over to the person next to you and say, hey, you know what, we're not perfect. We're all in the same boat there. This is bad news because true and perfect righteousness is impossible for us to obtain. That's why I've had, I've had people say to me, well, I don't deserve salvation. Bingo. You get it. 
It's not something we deserve. It's not something we earn. It's something that's freely given to us. It's a gift of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. So although the standard is higher than any of us have the capacity to reach, there's still hope. Where's the hope? The hope is found in Jehovah's Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. None of us have the ability to achieve righteousness in ourselves, but through the cleansing of our sins by Jesus Christ and the dwelling of his spirit, the believer possesses the righteousness of Christ. In fact, Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we may become the righteousness of God. One of the most powerful verses in all of scripture. He made him who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, God, perfect, holy, righteous, to become sin. What does that mean? When he died on the cross, the sin of humanity was placed upon his shoulders. Your sin and mine. That when we receive Christ as Lord and Savior, the scripture tells us the very righteousness of Christ covers us. Now that's quite a shield. Think about it for a moment. In his death, Jesus took the punishment for our sin. And the wage of sin is what? Death. Jesus died in our stead. He paid a price he certainly didn't know, but he paid a price that we owed, but we couldn't pay. But why did he do it? So we could receive the free gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That although we in and of ourselves can't reach the standard of righteousness, through Christ's death, he covers us with his righteousness. That's why when the enemy wants to whisper in your ear what you're not, just whisper it back where he's going to end up. Come on. I know it's early. Get that one. That's, a, that's good stuff, if I could say so myself. When he whispers in your ear how much you're not enough, whisper in his ear where he's going to end up. Why would you listen to a liar? Why do we allow ourselves to listen to anybody but Jesus? The scriptures, what do the scriptures say about us? That those who trust in the Lord for their salvation are made righteous, whole, complete in him. You say, Craig, well, I still mess up. Join the club. We're growing. We're becoming like Christ. We give them ourselves. Our desire is, Lord Jesus, I want to be more and more like you every day. But here's the good news. Really what we're talking about is, is becoming who we are. Like living up to our name, Christian, right? You realize the first time people were called Christians, it was sort of a put down. Oh, you're just a bunch of little Christ. And the church went, well, you can't, I like that. We'll keep it for a couple thousand years. That's our goal. That's our goal. But it's also our position. We're not gods, but we're his representation. We're his ambassadors. We're filled with his righteousness. So many Christians give up because they, they hit a heart spell in their spiritual walk and they go, well, God can't forgive me. Or I can't. As if you can earn your, your place back in when you couldn't earn your place in. We trust in Jesus for our salvation. And every single day we continue to trust him in this journey we call sanctification of becoming like Jesus. And what's so exciting for me, if you can't tell, <laughs> what's so exciting for me, and when I got the first glimpse of this, it changed my spiritual life. 
But I'm not trying to earn anything because Jesus already paid the price for me. I get to be on this journey with God. I get to, through all the struggles, learn to trust in him. I get to, in those dark moments, learn what it means to know that he's still working and, and, and know what it's like to, to become more like Jesus. And you've heard me say this so many times, almost every Sunday, because it, it needs to be said. I know what I'm not what I ought to be, but I'm not what I used to be. I am a work in progress, but I am a work in progress. And the work is worth it. Because I'm not trying to earn anything. Jesus already paid the price on the cross. Jesus exchanged our, our sin for his perfect righteousness so we can one day stand before God and he will see not our sin but the holy righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ get that this morning when we stand before the judgment seat of God I love how Francis Safer sort of pictures us he pictures us as a courtroom God's in the judgment seat it, it, it just touches me every time I think about this. And, and, and there's, there's the, the great accuser, you know, Satan. And he, he comes up and he says, well, this is all the stuff Craig did. He fell short so many times. He's, he's not perfect. And, and before the judge makes his verdict, Jesus stands up. And he walks up. He says, can I approach the bench? And God says, the father says, sure, son, come on up. And he stands before him and there's the devil sort of listening to him. He says, my blood covers him. And the judge says, free, free indeed. <laughs> free indeed. Come into my kingdom. You say, can it be that easy? Oh, it's not easy. <laughs> but it's good. It wasn't cheap. Cost the blood of the Son of God. In fact, <laughs> you guys aren't going to get to lunch if I keep it up. <laughs> In fact, I want you to think about this. Because I've come across many a believer who feels like they're worth nothing. Do you know what gives something value? Think about it. What someone's worth paying. Like there are some pieces of artwork I go, well, I can see why someone would pay a lot of money for that. And there's others I go, my goodness, I could paint that. And trust me, I can't paint. <laughs> and it goes for like a million bucks. Why was that worth a million bucks? Someone was willing to pay for it. Don't cheapen what Christ has done. Because when he looked at you, he says it's worth his life. You're worth the life of the Son of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes him shall not perish but have eternal life. What value does God place on you? The blood of Christ. What blessing do we get when we receive Christ? The blood of Christ, his righteousness covers us. He is not just Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord our righteousness. We are his people covered by Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord our righteousness. We're known by him, his works, his power, his deliverance. And so I just say to you this morning, no matter how ho hopeless life may seem, Christ, our righteousness, is our hope. No matter how dismal a situation may seem, Christ, our righteousness, is the one who provides a way. 
No matter what you have done, Christ our righteousness has the power to make us righteous in him. Here's the gospel truth. Here's the gospel truth. Events and people do not get the final word. Jehovah Sikhanu, the Lord our righteousness, gets the final word. And he offers us his righteousness, his hope, his abundant eternal life in him. I ask you this morning, have you received him? What a gift have you received it. It's not yours till you receive it. And if you've received it, I don't care where you find yourself today. I hope you find hope in who you are in Christ. What he's done, who he is, the power of his name, hope in him. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning, and I don't know how those of us who know you cannot celebrate. What an amazing promise we have in you. That this vision that that you gave, this prophetic vision that you gave to Jeremiah thousands of years before your coming, Lord God, became true, became a reality, and we get to rest in the reality of who you are, the work you've done. Jeremiah was looking forward to the work that would be done. We get to stand on the work that has been done on our behalf. You died for our sins, have been resurrected for our salvation. And Lord, the things around us, the people around us, the events around us do not get the final word you do. And you're Jehovah Sikhanu, the the Lord, our righteousness. In fact, it's your righteousness that covers those who have received you as Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray if there's anyone yet, uh, whether it be here in this room or in the chapel or online, who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, but perhaps even now in the quietness of their heart, they would receive the most important gift of all, and that's eternal life in you. But they would say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for being resurrected for my salvation. I receive you as Lord and Savior of my life, and that is the game changer. That's what allows us to stand beyond the events and the words. And even this temporary life in which we live, it gives us the hope to gaze into eternity and to realize (laughs) the blessing it's gonna be to be with you in paradise. Yet we don't just have to look ahead because you're with us today. You cover us today. You're working in our life today. And so we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being righteous. Thank you for being a righteous sacrifice. Thank you for allowing us to call you our righteous Lord. And Lord, would you grow us up in righteousness that we become more and more like you so that as we leave this place, as you've blessed our gathering, as we, would you bless our scattering as we leave this place, Lord God, that as we head out into this region, we can share the hope with them that we have in you. And what a marvelous hope it is. Jehovah Sikhanu, the Lord our righteousness. It says in his precious name we pray. Amen.